The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. Blue Pineapple Travel are experienced travel agents who help you design the perfect trip. They're all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. The world is a lot different these days, and the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are ready to help you safely navigate it. From helping you figure out the conscientious destinations to helping you figure out entry protocols for different countries, the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are there for you. Looking to work abroad for an extended period of time? Looking to attend virtual school from a remote location? These are all things that Blue Pineapple Travel can help you do. Again, their website is bluepineappletravel.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITL Coaching and Performance exists to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITL coaches are real people with phones, emails, and the desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in their ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to coaching, so there's always someone available to answer questions and to help adjust your training schedule. An ITL coach will be glad to meet with you and to chat about your goals and find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, their website is itlcoaching.com. And finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by SlayRx. You can find those good folks at www.slayrx.com. Are you needing a pleasant spark to take your endurance game to the next level? Are you needing an all-natural, high-quality, customized hydration powder with or without sugar to stave off cramping and dehydration? Are you in need of an effective all-in-one fuel to slay your endurance efforts? Look no more. SlayRx. SlayRx has a really good line of products to serve our most pleasant exhaustion podcast listeners. Let's start with Michelle's favorite, Spark Plug, which replaces sports gel and gross post-race strips to the Porta Johns. It's a poppin' electrolyte powder in small, easily carried tubes. There's also an all-in-one endurance fuel. It has all of your electrolytes, clean fuel, and for no extra cost, your essential amino acids with or without caffeine. And it costs about one-third as much as other brands' combo rocket fuels. Finally, they have my favorite, SlayRx Hydrate Powder, which comes with or without sugar and varying strengths of electrolytes based on your individual needs. They can find those individual needs on the free quiz online at SlayRx.com or with in-person testing like Patrick and I did at their headquarters on podcast episode number 114. Hydrate is the fuel that I use during the Blue Ridge Relay this year, and I recommend it for all of you as well. SlayRx products are 100% natural, come in great flavors, are vegan friendly, and the Hydrate Light is keto friendly. They've all been well researched and developed by a UGA food scientist who's also an Ironman athlete. The products are tested by the pros and endorsed by your fellow endurance athletes and hardworking folks in the community. The free sweat quiz and their products can be found at SlayRx.com, on Amazon.com, or at your local run and bike shop if it's available. You can use the code PLEASANT22 for 10% off at their website. Thanks to SlayRx for sponsoring us, y'all. Give them a try. We appreciate our sponsors, and thanks to all of them for helping us bring you the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Everybody and welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast, brought to you by ITO Coaching Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and Slayer X. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a father of twin boys and I'm a college professor. My name is Michelle Frank. I'm also an endurance athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a CPA and I'm a mom to three girls. And we have with us tonight on the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast, American record holder, brand new American record holder, Shane Strike. Shane, welcome to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. 
Thank you. I appreciate you all for having me and definitely excited to uh, talk more with you and share more about myself. Awesome. awesome. We're glad that you're here with us. Thought we would just give our listeners a little bit of a bio. Um, Shane comes from Minnesota, another amazing runner from the Midwest. Something about those cold winters just makes you guys <laughs> resilient and amazing, I think. Wisconsin, Minnesota, it's just, I don't know, you guys those states get some great runners. Illinois, um, Montana. Come, we've been we've been interviewing a lot of people lately from those areas. I know. We must be from the wrong place. But <laughs> anyway, uh, Shane comes from a family of runners. Mom and dad was a runner. Um, grew up as a, a fan of the sport, ran in high school, went on to run um, at the University of Minnesota and fell into, uh, I guess, senior year, COVID year, um, transferred to run a final outdoor track season at Lipscomb University and went on to uh, NCAAs that year, went from a 148 guy to a 146 guy, and then ran a 145 the trials a week later, uh, made the transition to professional running and is now here in Atlanta with us running for Atlanta Track Club Elite. And we are super excited to have you here tonight, Shane. Yeah, super excited to be here. Thanks for the intro, Michelle. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, yeah, so tell us about this. I grew up in Minnesota and it's freezing cold winter and go to college on a running scholarship and become a professional runner. What is it about Minnesota? Um, <laughs> how do you That's... feel like growing up there? You know, tell us about that. I feel like we cannot get away from uh, runners from the Midwest at this point. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm not even sure if I could give an answer. It's the secret sauce. So, uh, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I don't. It, it's a good question. Um, I definitely think it. There's something to the fact that dealing with, um, you know, just changing environments, changing seasons, and also just the, uh, I guess, um, intensity of those seasons. Obviously, with winter, everybody thinks of Minnesota, and they think. I mean, most some people I run into down down here in the south think it's snowy 24/7 up there. Uh, that we don't you, you, you mean it's not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so i think that definitely has something to it just being able to uh be flexible and adaptable to varying conditions and obviously in the midwest that generally has to do with the seasons but i think that's led to and transferred over to a lot of things um with the sport of running obviously things can go from going great one day to just being absolutely terrible and you think your running career is over the next day so that just, I mean, allows handling those situations and just uh, the highs and lows of training and competitions um, that much more um, easily. And um, I guess better than maybe maybe other runners from different areas, but um, that's just one way that I think the Midwest shapes, but um, sometimes it's also just luck. Uh, maybe yeah. it's just, maybe it's just a trend that it's recently been the Midwest, but I'm sure in a few years, it might just be, you know, uh, you know, Northwest, Northeast, uh, kind sure. of go with the flow. Um, so just sort of from a high level, tell us a little bit about your parents were pretty good runners, right? They were in college. So it seems like you mm -hmm. kind of grew up in a running house. Um, what was that like as a child growing up and did you do other sports or did you kind of just start running when you were seven and never kind of stop or what did that look like kind of leading up to becoming a division one athlete? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. It definitely helped being from a family of runners. Um, but it also was a very, uh, it was very low stress. I never felt like I was pushed towards the sport of running. It was more so that was something that um, I just kind of fell into and fell in love with. Uh, I mean, like you said, both my parents were runners in college. My dad was a, an All-American um, and, and 
at the NAIA level. Um, and, you know, my sister, four and a half years older than me, she was running. Um, and that's actually kind of just how I got my start. I, um, it's all kind of started just going to summer meets. She'd do USATF, Junior Olympic stuff, and uh, being the younger brother. And then, um, obviously, my uh, brother, who's younger than me by two years, we would just tag along. And half the time, at least initially, we were there throwing the football around. Um, you know, you're those kind of annoying kids at the meet, but, uh, that just allowed us to, um, you know, just be exposed to the sport, uh, ran my first mile in first grade, broke our school record. Um, I still remember <laughs> the time to this day was seven 11, um, just like a little convenience store. How old um, were you? Uh, I was six at that time. So, That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, it, that kind of pushed me and everybody's like, Oh, you should, you should start doing tracks. So and I'm like, Oh, I also like, I guess I'm tagging along to these summer meets. Um, might as well do, you know, try it out. And that's, that's kind of where I found my passion. Um, I never, I mean, my parents obviously would have liked to have us kids all run, but at the end of the day, uh, they've told us numerous times that if our passions were somewhere else, they were going to be supporting us, uh, wherever those uh, passions may be. Um, but when I started out, I didn't even start with distance. I was running 200, 400, doing long jump. Um, I know even throughout my time uh, career and even in high school, I did triple jump. Um, mm -hmm. And actually one fun fact is I made uh, for our smallest class in Minnesota, I made uh, the triple jump state meet as a, I think as a sophomore. Um, cool. So everybody thinks distance, but I, I, I can at least do a little bit of jumping. Um, got a little bit of explosiveness in the mid distance side of me, but um, so it really was just kind of finding where my little niche was in, within the sport and then obviously continue to pursue that um, throughout my middle school years and into my high school years. Uh, and, and it wasn't the sole focus either. Uh, my parents always encouraged us to try um, as many different things as we wanted. And so I ended up, I was a three sport athlete pretty much from or all the way from seventh grade through um, my senior or all the way through high school, really. Uh, did cross country in the fall, basketball in the winter, and uh, track in the spring. And I also, there's points of time where I played tackle football from uh, like in fifth and sixth grade, and then played ba uh, summer baseball um, after my sixth and seventh grade, during the summers after my sixth and seventh grade years. So I, I experimented, but ultimately nothing, nothing took my attention and uh, uh, my adoration as much as, as uh, running. That's, um, I, I like that story a lot. And it's, 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 it's sort of the story that, that I kind of expected to hear for lack of a better way of saying it, just that you were a good general athlete and then you ultimately kind of landed in track and specifically in the 800. Um, why is it that you landed specifically in track and in the 800? You said that it's the sport that kind of garnered your adoration. Why, why is that? What was it about track? And specifically, I think about the half mile, given how painful that race is. Um, why is that the thing that really grabbed you? Uh, I think at the beginning of it all, I think it was just where I found the most success initially. And then as I, you know, progressed through the years, um, and, you know, ran it more and more, it, I think it was really more just, I'm out there by myself. Um, obviously you can make it, it's a team sport. Um, you can make it as a team sport as a whole, especially at the high school level and still even at the collegiate level. And then obviously from the cross country side of things, it is that way too. But at the end of the day, it's still, you kind of go, you go out there and it's, it's you versus the guy next to you. But also, and as I've come to learn, especially throughout um, my collegiate career, um, it's you against you. 
And I think that's what's really kind of helped me uh, push myself and find and really deepen that love that I have for, for the sport, um, especially with the 800 and, and 1500. Um, you know, they they're such painful races because you have to be, you have to be going fast. You're, you have to find that balance of your fast twitch and slow twitch and be able to find a way to make it work. And there's so many different variations of uh, runners that run those events too, um, which I thought was also a cool part of the sport, um, especially in that little niche, you're getting people from super different backgrounds, all competing in one event um, with the same goals in mind and really just same, same desires. So um, it's actually kind of funny because at one point, um, when I was doing junior Olympic meets, I used to always do, uh, the 1500 and 800. And then I'd also high jump as well. And then af after a certain point, I stopped being able to, it wasn't as easy anymore to qualify for our, like the 800 finals or even semifinals at, at the national meets. And so I was like, well, maybe the 800 actually isn't for me. So I switched over 1500 to 3k. Um, in my seventh and eighth uh, grade years, I ran the 1600 and 3200 at our, uh, um, just throughout my uh, varsity career, and then ended up switching back to 1608 my, um, my freshman year. Once, once the speed started to come around, obviously the strength was always there and I had, had the talent, but sometimes physically it, it took a little bit. Um, and I think that's just also one of the aspects. It's, it physically was a... Uh, was the right niche for me. When did you realize that you probably would have the opportunity to uh, run in college at the division one level? And how'd you choose Minnesota? Uh, that honestly, I had that realization probably way back um, in around like seventh, eighth grade. Um, I had a lot of success um, running those junior Olympic meets. Um, you know, I had in Minnesota was always consistently the top 1500 uh, and 800 runner for my grade. Um, and I mean, that didn't really change until after my, I think my eighth grade year or even ninth grade year. Um, but I always had those aspirations. Um, I knew I loved the sport. I knew that it was something I wanted to do. And obviously every little kid dreams about going to play collegiate sports. For me, it was collegiate running. Um, so I had that had that realization. Obviously, a lot a lot of the work uh, then from you know, seventh grade on was just to compete, but also help build a resume such that I'd have that opportunity. And um, you know, thankfully, with the career I had built heading into my senior year of college, I, I had um, you know, plenty of uh, interest to to compete at the Division One level. Um, you know, took all five of my uh, visits. And then ultimately ended up just deciding to, to stay and run for the uh, for Minnesota's flagship program at the University of Minnesota. Um, you know, it seemed like the right fit um, coming out of high school. Um, you know, everybody wants to run for their oh no, I shouldn't say everybody, sure. but most people want to run for their uh, uh, their their flagship school um, or compete for their flagship school. And I, I definitely wasn't anybody outside the norm. Um, and so from the academic side um, and athletic side, it seemed like the right fit heading out of high school. And, and that's ultimately where I landed. So, awesome. yeah, you, you definitely had a good resume, seven state championships. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Very good. Were any of those in the triple jump? <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I only did it my sophomore year. And then okay. uh, I, I got to state, I finished 
14th out of 16, I think. And I was like, yeah. Better than any other 800 meter runner, man. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, But yeah, no, it it was fun. I mean, it's like those little little moments where, uh, or like those little things that um, definitely help make the sport or like kind of add to the enjoyment of the sport doing, you know, finding success or just being able to enjoy other aspects that you're not focusing on 24 seven. And and we also read that that you skipped your junior prom in order to go to the Drake relays. Is that right? Oh yes. Yes. Yeah, the story I, there? Yeah, I was. Uh, I the only reason I went to prom my senior year was because I had a girlfriend at the time. Um, and then <laughs> even even afterwards, after prom, she's like, "Yeah, I wouldn't find not going to prom." I'm like, "Well, if you would have told me that before, I, I was going to say you could have told me that last week." <laughs> right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, so I want to know sort of going through just um, a pretty good college career and then what it was like, I guess. I mean, we've read, you know, I think a lot of us who follow the sport, it was, you know, late February, early March 2020. Everybody's out at NCAA indoors. I'm actually not sure whether you were there. I don't think you were there, but I'm not positive. And then kind of the NCAA just shuts everything down um, and you guys are done with indoors. There's no outdoor track season. You're about to lose, you know, kind of your year of eligibility. Um, can you walk us through that a little bit? What it was actually like to be your, your senior year. You're a fifth yeah, year senior, senior at that your point, senior right? Year. Um, yeah. 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 I can definitely walk you through it. So I actually was out there um, okay. in Albuquerque. So we had a DMR that had qualified and that was the second uh, time I'd qualified for NCAA indoors and both times were for DMRs. Um, with the first time that happened occurring being my sophomore year. Um, so I was out there. Uh, we had worked obviously really hard um, as a team to put together a DMR. Um, and it was something that really the, the reason we qualified, we may not have been as talented necessarily as, as some of the other teams we competed against at the uh, Notre Dame Invitational where we had qualified, but we definitely had, uh, you know, a lot, a lot more heart than maybe some of those other teams and were able to get a qualifying mark. Um, so we could go in with all that excitement, all that opportunity. Um, last time I was there, we had finished ninth. So just one, I think, um, this, I think that was one spot out first team all American. Um, and so the goal was to go there first team all American. You have all these goals, aspirations, you're ready, you're feeling good. Great way to close out the indoor season and build some momentum heading in outdoors, especially for my final season as a fifth year outdoor uh in my in my fifth year season and i you know i hadn't redshirted indoor or outdoor track so i mean going out through most of my collegiate career in minnesota i was expecting to be done in four years and then my fourth year they asked me to uh just with the coaching changes within uh emerging of the men's and women's program at minnesota uh they asked me to come back for a fifth year so i redshirted mm-hmm. made all this happen now this is my heading in my final oh, season wow. you know final opportunity for the indoor season in my collegiate career, trying to build momentum. And then uh, obviously with COVID, the, the rug, had the rug yanked out from, from under me and just also just under everybody else there. So it, I think the hardest part was just the fact I didn't get to end. Uh, one, I didn't get to end my indoor season, my last indoor season on my own terms, but ultimately not didn't get to end or at that specific moment had, you know, was thinking I didn't get to end my collegiate career um, on my own terms. And along with that, I, I had had some successes, had run, you know, some fairly fast times. I had aspirations to run post-collegiately. And I mean, I was looking to really just build on a resume and even build a, a better resume that outdoor season. 
So having everything go from all this excitement, um, you know, a lot of opportunities building and a lot of momentum rolling just to, uh, you know, blink of an eye, there's nothing. Uh, and my, college, my collegiate career is over. It, it was just, uh, it was definitely hard to handle, but thankfully, you know, I had, I, and I still continue to have such a great support system um, that helps kind of, help that I was able to rely on to help me get through that especially that first first week or so, um, just dealing with all those emotions. But um, obviously, thankfully, the NCAA granted an extra season of eligibility. And, um, you know, from that, um, you know, the rest is kind of history. But that's what kind of allowed me to get to this point and have this opportunity to, you know, not only run professionally, but, you know, be an American record holder, um, be an up and coming uh, middle distance runner within the, the U.S. ranks. So what did that timeline look like? You're out in Albuquerque at NCAA indoors in March 2020. Everything shuts down. There's no outdoor track. What was the time frame kind of between that and your decision to take your final year of eligibility at Lipscomb? Um, how did you make that decision? And you know, what did the timeline of that look like? Mm -hmm. So initially it was just a lot of, I mean, especially that first week or two, um, just figuring things chaos. out. Just, yeah, it was just chaos and like trying to like deal with my own my own emotions and feelings. And um, after that, though, I mean, it was just kind of, it was just a sit and wait game, practically. Um, you know, I had heard rumors that the NCAA was going to give out uh, eligibility an extra season. Um, I, I mean, I think wrestling had been the first first group to kind of hear any rumors of that, and obviously, then you're hoping that it happens for a track. Um, but I, like I said, I had aspirations to run post collegially, um, maybe not at the level that I was you know, hoping to enter in college, but at least, you know, some, some opportunities would, would open up. Um, and so it was just kind of d deciding, you know, do I still want to continue running or, you know, is it, is maybe the time just to move on? And, you know, ultimately once the NCAA came out, um, I think probably like two, three weeks after, um, you know, COVID canceled NCAA indoors. Um, then at that point it was like, okay, well, do I want to go back for a sixth year uh, of school? I mean, I had been in school for five years. I, I'd taken plenty of classes and, you know, had, you was pretty sick of taking exams and, and of homework, but um, you know, the next step was deciding whether I wanted to run, um, you know, try working my way into the post-collegiate running scene and, and work my way up the ranks from there or um, go the NCAA route, find another program um, and just, just, kind of build off of what I, what I, um, you know, desires I had. So um, I had some unfinished business in the NCAA. I knew I had potential and the capabilities to compete at the national level individually. Um, so that, that's kind of what pushed me towards coming back for, for a sixth year. And then after that, after deciding that it was all right, almost like coming out of high school again, start that recruiting process and see what schools are interested. And then, you know, apply, talk to coaches, um, just figure out what, what the best fit was going to be. And, and ultimately led, uh, led me to Lipscomb. Um, I mean, coach, uh, Nick Polk had reached out to me within 30 minutes of me entering the transfer portal. Um, wow. so he was definitely one of the first names I saw. Um, and, you know, having a coach reach out that quickly definitely knows that kind of showed that, you know, they were obviously, feels good. <laughs> uh, yeah, it feels good. Um, and that to know that they, they have genuine interest in me. Uh, especially since it was such a personalized email and, and great to hear just the things that they were doing there at Lipscomb. Um, and so ultimately I, I had my decision made um, by the end of, mm, I think it was early May to mid-May. 
Um, and mostly because I had to, I only remember that because I was starting classes uh, for my MBA program um, at the end of June. Um, thankfully, they're all online, but uh, they'd start at June. I was remembered I was like, okay, well, I got to apply. I got to apply and uh, get get my stuff together and and get ready for, for classes just to start um, within a month. So um, it, was, it was a longer process. Obviously, it took a few months, but um, you know, that's just kind of how sometimes how it goes. Got take advantage of the time given to make sure I made the right decision. Why, why did you uh, not stay at Minnesota? Um, there's a variety of reasons. Um, I mean, one was just because they, they weren't giving any returning six years, um, any scholarship uh, money at that point. Gotcha. And I wasn't going to go back and do a master's degree for, um, you know, you know, paying the entire tuition. And that's also one of the criteria I looked at other schools for. It's like, I didn't want to go back to school and pick up more, uh, pick up more debt. Um, sure. And so I'd rather, run, you know, run somewhere where I didn't have to have to pay sure. um, anything or at the very least, just a small amount. Um, so that was one thing. Another thing was just because it being at the same school for five years, um, you kind of just get sure. stuck in a rut and it's hard, hard to, make any changes and um, you just kind of have the same old mentality. Um, sure. So I just wanted a new, new change, you know, change of pace and, and just a new environment. And then also another part was just, I was looking for a program where the, where the training and culture fit me, um, you know, fit me better than, than it did at Minnesota at that time or by the end of my career there. So um, there's a few things, but um, yeah, I just wasn't, wasn't the right fit to, to continue to stay there for for sixth year. Sure, sure. Awesome. And then in Lipscomb, for those who don't know, is in Nashville. Um, and so that that was a move. Um, you know, you're leaving Minnesota now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. How did that go? And and did it meet your expectations? Uh, it did meet my expectations, mostly because I didn't have a lot going into it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I had never been to Nashville before. Uh, I had heard good things, actually. I had a, uh, one of my best friends from my time at Minnesota and a roommate throughout my, um, my entire time at Minnesota, he had gone down, um, for spring for, yeah, for a spring break with, or at least or some break with his, with his girlfriend to Nashville and said like how, like how awesome it was. Um, and I had heard good things from other people. So I had those expectations, but I'd actually, so I'd never been there. And the first time I was there was when I was moving into, uh, my dorm, uh, to report for practice. So it was, it was kind of a, uh, uh, I, I had definitely have a feeling, a nervous feeling going into it, but, um, yeah, Nashville blew my mind away. Um, I loved the city, um, loved, the uh, loved Lipscomb university. I love the school, just not only for, um, the athletic side of things, but also just the academic side was great. The spiritual side was, was amazing as well. So it was a perfect fit. And, um, you know, the city was also just, was just a great, um, uh, you know, great place to be. It continues to grow. Uh, mm-hmm. They could use a few more sidewalks down there, um, especially <laughs> being a runner. It, it would be nice uh, not having to worry about cars driving uh, erratically and, and trying to avoid them sometimes. But um, yeah, it was it was great. Definitely a place that um, you know, if, if so, at some point down the road, uh, you know, post collegiate career or you know, post professional career um, landed me at, I would not be not would not be mad at at all so i still go there and visit occasionally when i have time just because i have friends and my brother goes to school at lipscomb this year mm-hmm. there as well so 
um, yeah, uh, it's, it's a great place. So if either of you have never been there or if anybody listening to this has never been there, I definitely, definitely recommend George it. went to Nashville this year. Oh, yeah, <laughs> okay. there's, there's, there's an inside joke on the podcast about me having gone to Nashville in December for a Christmas party and not telling Michelle and Eric and a run just pops up on Strava that I'm in Nashville. And both of them freaked out about the fact that I was in Nashville to tell them. <laughs> oh my goodness. As if that's what you have to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, <laughs> uh, you mentioned spirituality. You mentioned the spiritual side. You said that Lipscomb fit you in that regard. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So uh, Lipscomb is a private Christian university. Um, and just the, the background that I had, um, you know, I was raised in a Christian home, um, you know, definitely consider myself a, um, believer of the Christian faith. And that, that aspect was something that stuck out to me just because not only was it something where I felt more at home with, it was also, um, I just knew that was kind of the type, it was going to breed a good culture. Um, you not only in, uh, across the campus, but also with, uh, within the athletic teams. Um, and so that really fit me, um, and was something that I did was one less thing I had to worry about. Um, you know, I didn't have to worry about, um, yeah, I could work, be fine, just completely living my, my faith out daily and, and be challenged in that regard, um, versus kind of trying to have to find my own ways to, um, grow in my faith at maybe a different university or, or institution. So. Very good. Very good. So I think, you know, there's a lot to be said about all other parts of your life kind of being settled and, and you being content with the spirituality, the culture of the school, um, the way that the coach just kind of reached out and, you know, made you feel like you were wanted. Um, do you think that it was kind of a combination of all those things that led to such a breakout year for you in 2021? Or was there specific training that was different? Um, you know, how do you look back and reflect on going from a 148, 800 guy in NCAAs to the next round running a 146? Um, and then of course, even faster at the Olympic trials last year. Mm -hmm. It was, it was definitely a culmination of things. Um, I mean, in my eyes, the most important was just the, uh, the training change. I mean, it was a train, it was a system that fit me, um, a lot better. It was something where I could really be what challenged. Do you mean by that? We like all the gory training details. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I just felt like the, uh, during my time at Minnesota, uh, especially towards the end, the intensity wasn't, uh, there nearly as much. And obviously you're not trying to, uh, run yourself into the ground every day or, or at really every workout. Uh, but there are times where it is necessary to really push yourself and, and um, you know, run yourself into the ground. And I was, I felt like that was a component I was missing. And so that aspect um, definitely, um, you know, came, you know, arose at, arose during my training at, at Lipscomb. And also it was just the intentionality of training. Um, I mean, my typical schedule each week was, uh, you know, Monday normal run and then uh, Tuesday morning workout at 6 a.m. and then come back and double later in the day with a lift. Wednesday easy, Thursday morning run with a double later in the lift and then Friday workout, Saturday run and then Sunday long run. Um, so I think just the, the intensity of it all, but also just the intentionality. I mean, we were doing workouts and occasionally in half the time we weren't even uh, it wasn't like a workout every day necessarily, but, uh, you know, some days, sometimes on Monday, we're doing speed development and putting spikes on and ripping 50 meters or, you know, 50 meter reps or hundred meter reps, or other days it was working on change of speed, um, and doing 600 meter cutdowns where 
the first 200s at 34, the second 200s at 32, and the third 200s at 30. Um, and so there's a lot of intentionality in the training. Um, I mean, every time I ask coach, like, oh, like, you know, Coach Polk, like, why, why we were do, maybe doing something, um, you know, a specific uh, workout or specific, I guess, supplemental reps to a normal easy day. Uh, it was always like, uh, there was always an answer and there was always some intentionality behind it. And so that was one of the biggest things that also just, um, you know, workouts that, okay, or occasional workouts that, that ran, ran us into the ground. I remember doing um, <clears throat> the one workout last year was like three by three sets of three by four hundreds um, at mile pace with decreasing rest in between the, or within the sets. And then between sets was a little bit more rest, but um, I mean, by the time the last set rolled around, it was running, trying to run 59 second um, 400s while getting 50 seconds after the first rep and then only 40 seconds recovery uh, uh, after the last one. I mean, that's reps eight and nine. And I remember trying to run, <laughs> and it was kind of windy, um, but I remember trying to run all out or like, I felt like I was running all out and ran like a 63. <laughs> And I was like, well, and just went to the ground immediately after. Um, so it was like workouts like that, where it's, you know, really stressing the body and, and, and just obviously the intentionality and training that, that really, uh, I felt made a big difference, but uh, not to discount everything else um, that went, you know, that kind of happened throughout the year of just having balance across my life. I think that was a big thing. I, you know, was taking 16 credits a semester to, for my MBA program. Um, you know, obviously a lot of time invested into practice, but also it's working an internship, uh, 15 to 20 hours a week. Um, so there's a lot going on, but I felt really comfortable with the balance that I had across the life and my life and being able to kind of compartmentalize, um, different things and, and just be in a good spot, not only physically, but also, uh, mentally and emotionally. Very good. Very good. And so that spring you, made the final of the NCAA championship. You finished sixth at NCAAs in 2021. Um, and then you made the semifinals of the Olympic trials there in 2021. And then a week after that, you PR'd and, and ran 145.85. So yeah, like like Michelle said, a big kind of breakthrough year there after, uh, mm -hmm. after transferring to Lipscomb there. And then that summer, um, sort of after all of that, you decided to, to go pro. Um, had that always been sort of on your radar to become a professional runner? Um, um, or did you just kind of see everything lining up the way it needed to there in the summer of 2021? Mm -hmm. it, it was definitely an aspiration of mine. Um, I mean, going back to high school, my, my senior year was, you know, once I had realized that I was going to be able to run at that, at the division one level, then, you know, the next thought was, all right, let me go to college and run, you know, well enough to see if I can run at the, uh, at the professional level. And so I always had that goal throughout my collegiate career. Uh, sometimes the desire to do that ebbed and flowed. Um, and there were points where I didn't even know if I wanted to come back the following season of, of, uh, for cross country and track, um, and just kind of hang up the spikes and move on. And obviously, like I said, that was kind of the same, uh, thought process after, uh, once COVID hit. Um, but, the, the desire was always still there as long as I, um, you know, had that, uh, maintained the passion for the sport. Um, and especially, uh, last year at Lipscomb and as I progressed through the season, it was, 
Um, you know, I'd, I maybe had a few doors open to run on some smaller professional teams, or I guess like maybe some semi-pro teams coming out of my time at, at Minnesota, but, you know, finding that new environment that, uh, where I could cultivate some, some success and really, um, build upon the capabilities I knew I that had, um, that opened up a lot of doors and especially, um, you know, especially had my breakout race where I ran 146 at the Virginia Grand Prix. It was like, okay. Uh, now I'm actually, uh, you're realizing some of the capabilities. Had had. Yeah. Had more options, more doors open. Obviously it was just the focus there was to get through, you know, see what I could do at the, uh, um, national level at NCAAs. And then, um, the next step was like, okay, trials. And then after that, it was all right. Now that we have all these, you've had so much success, let's put this into, um, you know, seeing what what options are out there for me at the professional level, and and kind of bringing that uh, that desire to to fruition, and, and seeing what opportunities arose. So a lot of doors opened, and the desire was there, but obviously tried maintaining my focus um, throughout the collegiate season on on the goals at hand. And once once that was all over, it was all right. Let's see, let's 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 get the job done, and and figure out a team to, team to join. So how did Andrew and Amy Bagley sway you to choose Atlanta Track Club Elite for your professional running career? How did you come from Nashville to Atlanta? <laughs> uh, well, it was only a short trip, three and a half hours away. There is a time change, though, which is important. That is true. Yes, that's the unfortunate thing. I've lived, I lived uh, the first 25 years or 24 years of my life in the central time zone. And so now in the e now living in the Eastern time zone, it kind of throws me for a loop sometimes. Uh, <laughs> definitely have gotten used to it, but um, yeah, no, they, they, uh, uh, you know, just the fact that they, um, you know, took an interest in me as a person and as a runner um, and not just from like the times aspect and, and what they thought, you know, you know, what I was running and what they thought I could run, but it was more so, you know, how I raced, you know, was I a competitive runner or was I, uh, you know, was I, was I someone who went out there and competed or was I somebody who just went in time trialed and, you know, kind of got uh, dragged along to those times. Um, so them taking an interest in, you know, just the, the entire uh, person that I am, the entire Shane Strike um was something that really really grabbed grabbed my attention and obviously also just the the many unique components of joining the Atlanta Track Club elite team um within the Atlanta Track Club organization um I mean initially coming once I decided to look at the professional level and see what my options were I remember once I signed my agent I wanted to uh actually I wanted to stay in Nashville um because I loved it so much um yeah and train under my, uh, under coach Polk and, you know, maybe get like a smaller, um, apparel, uh, sponsor, um, such that I could stay there. Um, but no, no, no options really came, came up just especially because I was kind of a late bloomer. A lot of the trends now is, is putting money into teams, um, for brand for major brands. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, just the aspect that, like I said, the unique opportunity that existed, uh, that club or that the elite team was here at Atlanta track club um, within the Atlanta track club organization. And obviously the, the interest that Amy and Andrew took in me, their belief in uh, not only myself, but also in uh, helping create a middle distance team that wasn't just known here in Atlanta, but also 
known at the uh, at the national level and then you know down the road known at the international level um, and I was excited in the in the goals and um, vision that they had for the for the team and also um, their commitment to wanting me to be a big part in, in helping build that in that that vision that's awesome and, um, and the president of the club is an old 800 meter guy himself mm-hmm. so oh yes he doesn't like to talk about it too much but we all know he's a 143 guy that's right <laughs> so I'd, we didn't ask Sadie this and I don't even know if George even knows I'm going to ask this but we talk a lot about shoes on this podcast and the shoes mm-hmm. technology and Atlanta Track Club has been had been with Mizuno for several years and I guess what I'm kind of wondering is um, they made a shift from Mizuno to an Adidas sponsorship in 2022. But when you're looking at, you know, programs and sponsors for a major move, um, like where you're going to start your professional career and you're going to be running on a track, did you know kind of ahead of time that um, Atlanta Track Club was going to be moving to an Adidas sponsorship and that you would have, you know, that Adidas super shoe and super spike available to you? Because um, Atlanta Track Club runners, you know, had been running but been wearing a kind of a shoe of their choice sort of since Mizuno mm-hmm. didn't have a super shoe or a super spike I mean I knew that the that Atlanta track club was Mizuno um but one of the the nice things and was just and also kind of what drew me to the tra- organization was the transparency um and with uh our high performance director Eric Hines he he didn't tell me exactly who they were going to be switching over to um but they uh, said it was a major, um, very like a major um, brand and apparel company within the running running community, uh, not only here in the U.S. but at the inter- uh, international level. And so, I, even though I didn't know who specifically, um, just having that knowledge, I mean, makes it pretty easy to understand that that it was probably somebody who was investing in in not only as athletes but also in in the apparel and. Uh, shoe technology, technology that it yeah. was that was putting together so it I mean it made that side of things more comfortable obviously at the end of the day I, I knew I was yeah I could compete and yeah. um you know, perform uh, at a high level you know with I guess the current uh current technology but also um sure. obviously you want to grow as a runner with the, with the sport and obviously you hope your club and the so, shoes that you're wearing do that too so yeah <laughs> So you make your transition to Atlanta. So you're gone through three teams um, and this is coming into the third coach in a, in a three-year period. Um, what was it like kind of leaving Nashville and, and getting settled here and getting into the groove of, you know, the way that the Bagley's train the elite team? Mm-hmm. It was, it was a little bit hectic at first, um, similar to my, t- uh, to Nashville, really the first time that I had uh, experienced Atlanta um was when I moved here um yeah so I had actually I'd I'd driven through Atlanta a few times um throughout my childhood when we were driving when we'd be driving to Florida but most of the time I was either sleeping or I was watching Netflix or playing a video (laughs) game or something so definitely wasn't paying attention and then uh, I did come down for an American Track League race uh uh, which uh, are at the first week of July um that was held at uh, Marietta High School yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I was there. I'm, I'm a proud alumnus of Merida High School and a member oh, okay. of the Athletic <laughs> Hall of Fame. Oh, really? That's actually yes. pretty cool. That They have a nice track there. That's for sure. Yeah, I actually, yeah. Right around I the corner from my house. Track. My sons will be going there one day. But anyway, oh. sorry, I didn't mean to jump in. on. Oh, you're there, OK. But... I, I, I appreciate that. I can respect that. Proud, proud alumni moment. You know it. Um, so actually, that's where I finished up my kind of my outdoor season was, was at that race. 
Um, but I was here for all of two days um, and didn't really get out and about because I was focusing on a race. And so when I got here, it was a little bit hectic, just trying to figure out the area, obviously move into a, a new apartment, um, you know, get figured things figured out from that end while also, you know, completely new, uh, new team trying to get, uh, uh, you know, accustomed to how the training would look in terms of just schedule. Um, there wasn't really anybody else on the team that was here right when I got here. A lot of people were uh, kind of like on their breaks. So they were there um either practically back home um most of them and so they're slowly trickling in so I got to meet some faces here and there which actually kind of made it easy um I mean I'm more of an introverted person so meeting one person at a time kind of spaced yeah. out makes makes my life a little bit easier um and less stressful but uh I can yeah, it was that. <laughs> that that aspect was uh was fun I mean it's just great uh it was smooth a uh, transition in terms of getting to know everybody not only on the team but within the organization and i never felt overwhelmed from that regard. Training was a little bit different. Um, it, the, getting used to the intensity of, of the professional level, especially just the intensity of, of uh, Coach Begley's uh, training, um, that, that took some getting used to. And at times during the fall, I, you know, I was like, okay, this, this sucks. Um, but obviously I knew it was going to help down the road. But um, that regard took some getting used to, but overall a smooth transition and um, nothing too drastic. And so speaking of helping down the road then, uh, come February, come last month, February of 2022, um, you go to uh, a track meet in Louisville um, and you set your American record um, in the thousand meters. Uh, you ran 216.16. Um, which broke the year-old record of Bryce Hopple, which was 216.27. Um, how did, well, we want to hear all about it, of course, um, but how did it come about that you said, wait a second, I've been running the mile and I've been running the 800, but why don't we focus on the, the thousand here? Yeah, it was, uh, it's kind of a work in progress because um, initially it was set up for, um, for aid. Well, or Abe was kind of the primary focus because he had run a uh, 1K a few years ago. And that's your teammate? Yep, Abe Alvarado. Mm -hmm. And he had, he had run 218.0 um, a few years ago pretty much by himself. Um, and so he wanted to take a crack at it. There was supposed to be another runner, um, uh, a, a well-known um, middle-distance runner that was going to be taking a crack at it who ended up withdrawing. Um, and a lot of it was just the success I had had in uh, – throughout the season up to that point. Um, I mean, if I hadn't knocked out my uh, U.S. indoor qualifying mark in the 800 um, at that first meet in, at Vanderbilt, um, then that probably wouldn't have been something that or an opportunity that I would have had. I would have been maybe chasing time still. Um, but, you know, having a indoor PR, indoor mile PR and really actually an all-time PR in the mile um, at the Millrose Games, followed up the next week by a um, indoor PR in 800 and second best 800 I've ever ran. Um, you know, that, that's opened up the doors and, you know, the, the pieces were already in place to run a fast 1k there. Um, and so I knew, I knew I had the capabilities. I had confidence, I had momentum and obviously having, having Abe there too, we knew that we we're going to be able to just push each other and, um, we we're going to be grateful at the end of the day for the opportunity. And then obviously, um, super, super excited for, if one of us, no matter which one of us it was going to be, um, that got the American record, if it was, if it was taken down, 
Um, so just going in that race, just having that excitement and um, the uh, just knowledge and, and belief that we could do it, but also having our coaches believe enough in us to um, not only set that opportunity up initially, but um, but fight for us, you know, when they wanted to pull the 1K from, from that event um, the week prior. So having coaches that believe in you that much and are willing to give you those opportunities and fight for those opportunities for you uh, makes, makes life so much easier as an athlete and, and also just gives you that, that little extra fire to, to go after those, those lofty goals. For sure, for sure. Yeah. This is going to sound like a weird pivot, but, but when you qualify for NCAAs when you're at Minnesota and the DMR, um, for folks that are listening, the distance medley relay is it's a 400, an 800, a 1200, and a 1600. Which of those legs did you run? Uh, I ran the 1200. Okay. And <laughs> so now you see why I'm pivoting. <laughs> so, so, so that, that, and that, that, and that's the reason why I was asking. And so you would, you'd never raced a thousand until you raced mm-hmm. it in Louisville. That was actually your very first time racing mm-hmm. that distance. And you set an American record, which is a pretty good outing, pretty good record so far in the, in the yeah. thousand meters. Um, but you had raced around that distance. Obviously you'd raced 800 and you'd race slightly more when you had raced in the DMR and the 1200 mm-hmm. before, but, but what was it like racing this distance that you had never raced before? It was, it was exciting, but also nerve wracking mm-hmm. primarily because I had no idea what to expect. Um, and you know, one of the, one of the aspects of my, uh, of, I guess, my running experience I've been focusing on, especially over the last two years, has been the mental side of things. And with that comes um, just the mental preparation for races. And part of that, what I do is visualization and kind of visualizing, you know, where I'm going to be physically just throughout the race, but also where like pain points are going to be. So for a race that I've never ran before and can only rely on what other people who have diff- probably different varying experiences across the board for the distance, hearing what they tell me, just really still not having any clue what to expect. Um, it, that made it difficult, but also it's just the excitement of it, like kind of getting to try something completely new, going after such a lofty goal, um, made it exciting. And I had talked to uh, coaches Amy and Andrew Begley the, the night before, and, and they told me that uh, just to think of it as an 800 that you ran, but then you forgot a lap. Um, and I'm like, okay, that's fair. It's just figuring out some way to finish. Um, I'm I'm glad that worked for you. I don't feel like that would work for me. (laughs) Uh, I mean, it it provided a good laugh. I'll say that. Uh, I don't, that's definitely not the way I actually approached it, but I knew it was going to be, um, a hard last, last 200 where you kind of really have to dig deep and and figure things out and be able to find, find a way to to finish, uh, which in a sense is kind of same, same idea. Um, but they said it was going to be, or at least Andrew said, I feel, feel probably somewhat comfortable through the first eight or like maybe a little bit comfortable through the first 800. And then it's just really going to pick up in terms of intensity and pain that last 200, but I 400 in, I was like, wow, I got 600 to go. And I was actually like, <laughs> I got 200 before uh, the pacer, Eric Swinski steps off. Um, so I'm like, then I'll have 400 on my own. I'm like, this, this is a, this, this could be a train wreck. We're going to keep, keep pushing and, and see what we can do. And, and obviously it worked out and I found ways to, uh, push on and, and keep, you know, digging deeper and deeper and, and kind of putting, pushing the, the, the pain to the side. But, um, yeah, it was, it was fun. I mean, it's fun racing 1k. Um, I, it's been a while since I've raced 1200. Um, and I don't remember how, how fun I thought that was, but, I think with uh, some recency bias I, and obviously the success I had with the 1K, that, that's a little bit more enjoyable. 
Um, so you mentioned in the Sidious Mag interview about how you went into this race as an underdog and, you know, fans of uh, track and field recognize runners like Bryce Hopple and Clayton Murphy and Craig Ingalls. Those guys have been around a while and they're notoriously, you know, top of the field in major uh, competitions. But I mean, you took the American record from Bryce Hopple. So what does it feel like to, I mean, you're running with these guys, like you are at their level side by side and, you know, we've kind of set the stage for a whole buildup for you, but we're really only talking, you know, your the last kind of year or two, um, just kind of coming out there and having this breakout year and now being an American record holder. Um, so you are one of those guys now, like, what does that feel like? Uh, it's, it's a little bit, it's humbling. Um, given the fact, like, I mean, like you said, uh, it's really only the last like year or two that we're really focusing on and, and just knowing that, you know, at, at some point we all, we all start at the very beginning, um, and just kind of, uh, going back to thinking of just one, how far I've come and two, just the path that I, that's taken to get here. And obviously guys have, it, it kind of just goes to show that, um, you know, with the, the names that now, like I might be mentioned with, or, um, you know, I might be included with, with their names is we all have different paths to get to, uh, you know, we all have different paths to get to this, the same spot. I mean, Bryce Hopple was a stud at the NCAA level for, for, uh, many years and had that crazy undefeated streak, um, by the, by the time by the end of his collegiate career which was uh but like for me it's like I had one really good NCAA season I didn't even win the NCAA uh, NCAA competition and um but still had no I had to have similar capabilities and and have gotten to a similar level um and obviously I know I I, I still have more to go to get to not only his level but but the 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 tip tip of the iceberg in terms of U.S. middle distance running but it's, it's humbling to know um, just the group that I'm in, but also it's, it's, it's exciting. It's, um, you know, it, it really helps build, um, you know, confidence for, for future uh, races, especially this outdoor season. Obviously, like having that American record under my belt and uh, knowing that I, I took it from Bryce Hopple, um, such a well-known middle distance star in the U.S. It's, it's like, okay, heading into U.S. indoors, I know I can – I always knew I could compete, but now it's like, okay, I knew I could compete, but let's go try making a world team. Um, and so it's brought a lot of confidence um, and a lot of uh, excitement, but also um, just a lot of des more desire to continue to double down on my training, um, but also who I am as a runner and the things that have been working. Um, so it's, it's exciting. And, and obviously um, having my name in conversation with all of those guys, um, I think it's great. That's right uh, up there. Yeah, yeah. It's, I think it's great for not only myself uh, personally and just my personal uh, professional career, but also just for the Atlanta Track Club as a whole, um, not only the team, the team and the organization, but also, um, you know, kind of going back to the roots. You know, it's, I represent not only myself, but I represent uh, my team, my organization, um, you know, my friends and family back home, former coaches and, you know, former institutions. So. And Shane, I can tell you, you know, Bryce Hopple, Clayton Murphy, Craig Ingalls, um, just objectively speaking, you have a far better name than they do. Um, I mean, Shane Strike, come on now. I mean, yeah. what, what, what name are people going to remember? Bryce who? Clayton what? Craig what? Shane yeah. Strike. 
Oh there yeah, you go. strike right to the point and and applicable to to the way I run. Usually, I'm I'm not up there front running all the time. I'll I'll sit back and I'll strike at the last moment. So awesome. <laughs> I mean, you've got the mustache, so if you grew your hair long, people might start confusing you and Craig. But <laughs> they they actually have. I so like I had uh, I had a mullet last Come year, uh, and pretty much <laughs> most of this well most of this year up until like um, we did a training camp in Florida. I went to go get my mullet freshened up and then uh, it was a brand like random barber down there and he ended up taking a little bit too much off the back. Um, so I'm working on growing it out with it. Uh, I remember at Wingfoot um, when we were there volunteering and of course they had Craig, uh, Atlanta Track Club brought Craig in um, to do the to be the honorary starter or the celebrity starter. Um, right. And I was I was over there working the merch the merch tent and there were kids that came over and asked to take my picture and some of them some of them thought, thought I was Craig. Um, and so like, I actually was asking kids, like when they came up at, uh, to ask for a picture, I was like, Oh, like, do you think I'm Craig? And like, you think I'm Craig Engels? And some would be like, yeah, I'm like, Oh, he's just over by the start line. And then, but I do remember, and I, I don't remember the, the, uh, the teenager's name, but he came up to me, asked me if I want to take a picture. I was like, Oh, like, like, you think I'm Craig Engels? He's like, no, he's like, you're Shane strike. And I'm like, awesome. all right, I like you. <laughs> there you go. I, what, what I was going to say is that soon enough, people are going to be going to Craig Ingalls and asking to take pictures with him because they think they Shane Strike. There you yeah. go. That so, might, so. That's, that's the goal. <laughs> I was going to say, keep plugging away, man. The trajectory you're on, uh, that's that's probably going to be sooner than you think. Yeah. Um, and so so I also have to ask the question, speaking of interviews you've also done, you were um, uh, quoted in one of the interviews talking about how uh, you celebrated with a, with a craft beer that night. What beer did you drink? Uh, I don't remember off the top of my head, mostly because, so I, uh, we ended up, so I'm also a huge margarita guy. Um, and so, and so we ended up, we ended up at like a, uh, I think it was a brewery, but they had margaritas and, um, I was like, uh, you know, I am craving, I am craving something a little bit sweeter, like with the margaritas. So I got, I ended up getting two margaritas there and then, um, uh, uh Abe and I, uh, ended up going to a local to a Kroger and then bought um, bought some craft beer there. It was it was a local IPA um, for in Louisville that we we're or actually maybe it wasn't an IPA. I think it might have been a I think it was a Pilsner. Um, mm -hmm. So local there, it was actually pretty good. Abe, Abe's not a huge Pilsner guy. He's he's definitely an IPA guy. So uh, <laughs> uh, he he wasn't as uh, big of a fan of it as I was. But uh, it's definitely one of those. Uh, um, having that as a incentive for races makes makes life easier especially uh given that i i do enjoy enjoy craft beer so very good when we bring uh when we bring abel and i'll be sure to ask him about the ipas that he prefers <laughs> sounds good yeah you he'll, he'll probably like that he probably has a few good options awesome. and recommendations um with indoor season behind us obviously your first indoor season as a professional athlete walking away uh, an american record holder it's pretty amazing you know, what's next for you? We, we know, um, you know, a big reason why I wanted to get a bunch of Atlanta track club elite runners on here is because we've got USA is coming up in a few months and the United States is hosting worlds this summer. Um, so I'm sure that's on your radar mm -hmm. and we've got a bunch of people here in Atlanta that, you know, get to contend for one of those three spots and in, in all these events. So what are you looking forward to in outdoor season? When are you going to open? Are you going to stick with 800? What can we kind of look forward to? seeing from you this year mm -hmm. yeah so it'll be it'll be a long indoor season or a long outdoor season i mean yeah. indoor season it's, it's short and sweet you get about a month and a half of racing and, and it's over but um outdoor season we'll, we'll start 
Um, I think probably the second weekend of, I think it's the second weekend of April. And I mean, honestly, with outdoors, it could go all the way through July, but also could all go all the way through September, um, depending on, on how healthy I stay and, and, um, you know, how, 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 you know, how fit I am and how, how, how the body wants to continue to hold up. So I'll be opening up at the, um, BAA road mile in Boston, um, on Boston marathon weekend. Um, so that'll be my first race for the outdoor. Yeah. Definitely excited. It's going to be, it'll be fun to be, uh, to race and be at such a, um, prestigious, prestigious event, um, in prestigious weekend in reality for, for the running community. Um, so that'll be where I open. Um, I know actually for, this will be a nice little plug for uh, the Atlanta community. I know a lot of us are going to be, or likely going to be opening up uh, on the track at the Georgia Tech meet. Um, I think the third weekend of April, Uh, I'm not sure exactly on the dates for most of these, but um, it'll be kind of off events or just to kind of, uh, or, you know, some rust busters in midst of a heavy training workload um, that, yeah, if people are interested, they can come out and watch and obviously not only support us, but also um, Georgia Tech and, and, and many other uh, runners out there. Um, Drake Relays will be on the docket, um, meet in Puerto Rico, um, and then obviously kind of kind of see where the chips fall. But that's kind of the starting schedule. Um, I mean, my hope is to be able to run uh, at you know a lot of prestigious meets. I mean, uh, the Prefontaine Classic being one of them. Um, and then with the goal of... Um, running, running and being competitive at, at us champs, um, and being once again, vying for a, uh, world team spot, um, especially since it is being held here in, in, in Eugene this year. Um, so that'd be something that'd be obviously super exciting. Um, but, and obviously it's a lofty goal, but as, as you can see from the indoor season, I'm not, I don't really, I don't shy away at all from, from those goals and I will do my best to, give myself an opportunity to achieve them. Um, so that's, that's the main goals. It'll still be likely sticking with 800, um, still running the 1500 uh, here and there. Um, I know I have capabilities to be successful in either of them. Um, but obviously 800 right now is a little bit more of my strong suit. So we'll, we'll stick with that and, and just supplement it with a little bit more on the longer side here and there. That's Very awesome. Good. Very good. That 800 meter looks like it's happening, uh, Saturday, April 23rd at about two fifteen PM. So okay. the one at George Tech. Yeah. Cheer. <laughs> yeah. So you like running at schools where I ran because I'm also an alumnus of George Tech. So there you go. Oh, okay. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Is there uh, anything else I should know so I can figure out where my next meet's going to be? <laughs> you know, if you if you can go to one in Ann Arbor, that's where I got my master's degree. So oh, okay. say, um, but uh, but but I imagine you probably have different feelings towards the University of Michigan than I do. Um, yeah. Being from Minnesota and all. Um, all right, Shane. A question that we ask everybody when they come on the podcast. You mentioned a little while ago the three by three by 400 at mile pace with decreasing rest and i wrote that down um and uh, uh i know that that michelle is getting ready for a road mile here in atlanta as a matter okay. of fact so 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 maybe well, maybe she'll I'm be that on her training schedule but uh, but we'll see um but uh but what is your favorite workout okay well first off michelle are you planning on running the adidas running city mile no i didn't <laughs> I didn't register, but another friend of the podcast, um, 
she sent a workout this week and we did it. We were going to do it together. I canceled last minute. I did it on the treadmill. Mm. And then she told me that it's part of a six week build up to a mile. Uh, <laughs> so okay. I was like, well, that's ridiculous. I don't want to run a mile, but what's next week's workout. Oh. <laughs> um, so I don't know, maybe. Gotcha. Well, we'll, we'll be, we'll definitely be running that one. So okay. you know, they'll, they'll have an elite field there that we'll, we'll be taking part of. Um, it's so, a cool looking event, man. I have, yeah. I have a, a marathon the following weekend. Okay. Um, and so I can't just quite decide whether I'm going to do it or not, but mm -hmm. it's an, it's a neat looking event. I think I, I, I'm, I'm yeah. happy it's part of the schedule now. You're, you're not saying, you're saying that, uh, you're not saying that a mile is a great tune up for a marathon. <laughs> I have given my opinion on this for George. It is a disaster in the making for him to go out there on a Saturday night and try to run a half really fast road mile when he has a goal marathon the next week. And it's mm. like really a goal marathon. He's not like, no. <laughs> so Shane, the fact is the chances are good. <laughs> <laughs> I like the even, sound of that. <laughs> even, even though Michelle is 100% correct. Yeah. Hey, it's downhill. It'll be easy. <laughs> That's, That's right, why yeah. nobody can coach George. Oh not, my like, goodness. Uncoachable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Favorite workout change. Right? Yeah, so yeah. So my favorite workout, oh, that uh that's that's a tough one um i feel like it's definitely changed and i've only so i've only ran this workout once and i i did mention it in my um in my interview with with runners uh with runners world and it's the v hill and it's not fun it sucks i didn't do as well as i wanted to uh it uh initially but uh for, I'm assuming if you aren't familiar with it, it's, it's the, it's 50, you start at 50 meters um, and you you're running each rep at mile pace. And so you get uh, each, each uh, rep after that um, is 50 meters longer and you get equal recovery um, in, in a jog. So you get 50. So the first rep is 50 meters, then 50 meter jog into a hundred meters at mile pace with a hundred meter jog to 150 and you basically go until you can't anymore. Um, and so it's, it's at mile pace. Uh, I think the fun, the fun part about the workout, especially, like I said, like I I've really been focusing on the mental side of things is it's one of those workouts where, you know, you're not only chal challenging yourself physically, but you're challenging yourself mentally. And I mean, there are, there are workouts that are, are super hard, but maybe don't tax you as much on the mental side of things. Um, and so with that workout, I mean, I only ran it once, like I said, I didn't, it didn't go nearly as well as I want to, but, uh, from what I've heard from everybody here is that it never goes that well for every, anybody on their first time. Um, so, so how far did you get? Yeah. Uh, I made it, I made it fully through 550 meters. Um, and we were, our pace is we we're going 58 second, um, per quarter pace. Um, and then. For the 600, I, I made it through about 400, and then the last 200, it was it was it was not a it was not a great show. Not pretty. Uh, yeah, yeah. If, if people would have looked at me the last 200, they might have thought that I was out there just jogging laps. Um, <laughs> so I mean, 550 meters—that's the 11th repeat. I mean, that's mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, I, I can't I can't quite add up the 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 total meters that you're running at lot. mile pace in my head that quickly. Perhaps Michelle, the accountant, can, but uh, <laughs> but but 11. Yeah, eleven repeats at mile pace. Yeah, that, that are getting increasingly longer. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, that that's no joke, man. Very good. Yeah, especially since like I mean, you you rip off like the first like four or five, and you're already at, well, I mean, really even like six or whatnot, and you're at like 
300 meters and you're like, okay, like, you know, I'm, I'm not feeling great, but we're like, we're already at 300 meters, but then you're also like, all right, each rep after this, it's, I mean, it's, it's longer and sure it's less reps, but you know, the next two or three reps, you're going to be running like significantly longer combined than the first, like four or five, six of them. So, um, it throws you for a loop, but also it keeps you really focused, um, and lasered in mentally, um, to kind of keep the physical side moving forward. Very cool. Very cool. All right, Michelle's got one more question for you. All right. We're going to round the podcast up here. I want to know you've been in Atlanta a little bit less than a year now. What's your favorite place to run here? Ooh, good question. Um, I would say I don't want to give a basic answer, but I think I'm going to give a basic answer. That's okay. And that's, uh, that's the Cocktail Shoals trail, trail at, at the river. Um, just because it's soft surface, we go there for long runs. I've had a lot of good runs there. Um, but yeah. That's, that's I mean, not basic. That's Michelle's favorite place too. Oh, really? <laughs> when are you guys there? Like I, I have spent so much of my life running down there. I never, I never see you guys unless it's like 8.30 on a Sunday morning and some of you guys are starting out. Mm. Oh, well, if you Michelle's go there, been working hard to uh, accidentally <laughs> uh, run into gotcha. the ATC elite team at Cochrane Shoals and it just hasn't worked out for <laughs> yeah, her so far. She's so got a calendar throw, there throw her bone here, Shane she's got it checked off when she's tried. Yeah. Well, we're usually there, uh, uh, Monday, Monday mornings for our long runs. Um, usually sometime around like nine or 10, um, depending on the weather or like how cold it is really. Um, so yeah, that's usually when we have, or like really the only time that we're there organized, sometimes we'll be there on a Wednesday or maybe even a Saturday for, for a workout, but that's usually a lot during our base phase. And, um, a lot of, a lot of us live around that, the area. So yeah. we'll, we just end up there random times throughout the day. But I will say my second favorite place is definitely not a, uh, a basic, uh, running route. Um, so like my apartment ties into the Bob Callen trail, which, uh, ultimately ties into, to the river or like the Cochrane Shoals trail. Um, but I do most of my runs from, from my apartment. So it's nice to hop on the trail. It has a lot of, I mean, especially one massive hill that has like three false summits, um, <laughs> as part of it. And, and that's within the first mile of my run. Um, yeah, it's not but, a place to get an easy run in. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not very fun sometimes, but I always <laughs> like to think is like hills as, as a, uh, a cheap man's, uh, way to get some strength. Okay. Um, so I don't really have to work too hard, but I can, I can focus a little bit on form and, and such. So uh, I run in a lot, um, get a lot of good miles on it. And, and I've come to love the, even the, even the, you know, 400 or well, not 400, but you know, 200 foot climb that that, that hill is. So, um, yeah. Awesome. Very good. Very good. Shane Strike, ATC Elite Team member, American record holder, and self-professed huge margarita guy. Um, <laughs> we appreciate your being with us on the Most Pleasant Exhaustion podcast, man. Thank you, George. Thank you, Michelle. I appreciate y'all having me and, and definitely had a lot of fun. Awesome. So good luck. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast, on Twitter at pleasantpodcast, or on Instagram, Most Pleasant Exhaustion. We're available on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, so share us with your friends. Don't forget that we're sponsored by ITL Coaching and Performance, who you can find at itlcoaching.com, on Twitter at itlcoaching, 
on Facebook at facebook.com slash ITO Coaching Performance and on Instagram, ITO Coaching. We're also sponsored by Blue Pineapple Travel, bluepineappletravel.com, facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, and on Instagram, bluepineappletravel. And finally, don't forget we're sponsored by SlayRx. That's slayrx.com, facebook.com slash here for SlayRx. That's the number four, SlayRx. Twitter, at official SlayRx. And Instagram, here for SlayRx, the number four, SlayRx. Discount code PLEASANT22. On behalf of Michelle Frank, Patrick Ollinger, and Eric Hall, I'm George Darden. Thanks for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast.